Tonnerul was barely 200 years old, a toddler among his kind. It is neither wise nor healthy to exist in this present age, this age of humans, explains Lumea. The fates of our most recent ancestors instruct us. Consider the evidence. You're not going to tell me the tale of the human George who tracked down and murdered one of our race in cold blood, are you? The young dragon shook his head. You know that never happened. Didn't it? The elder's lips literally cracked into a faint smile. Well, of course it didn't. St. George and the dragon was just a myth, continued Tonarul. A children's story meant to frighten the young and naive into obedience. Yes, keep believing that. It was a myth because we are myths. The human George could not have slain a monster that never existed in the first place, Lumea replied. So there is no need for more enlightened humans to track down and slay characters that live only in fables. But what if they did track us down, retorted the young one. Humans are weak and slow. They have no vision at night. They can't spread their wings and fly like some of our brothers and sisters, and they can't jump the full length of a forest or ride the winds the way you and I can. Why should I either fear them or have any regard for them at all? The old dragon released a long sigh, accompanied by a bit of smoke. Yes, they're not that fast. Their eyesight is limited and they appear to have no natural instincts whatsoever. Their most dreadful characteristic, however, is their absolute terror of anything that is even remotely different than they are. This fear will cause them to do irrational and highly destructive things in an effort to remove the object of their dread from their sight, and preferably from their world. And oddly, that fact that their acts of lashing out can often cause their own deaths does not seem to deter them from their irrational mission. They are just not very smart. Hello and welcome to The Journey, your radio show, hosted by Neville D'Angelo, author of A Soundbite Life and Flight of the Fused Monkeys, a PRG Emerging Technologies Forum keynote speaker and founder of Rio Sports. I am Joseph Ellison. Enjoy! I am Neville. Today I'm sitting at the table with Charlie Rose and Dan Peeler, authors of Dragons of Romania, book one. You know, a book must be delightful when it is written for teens and yet relished by adults. And that is why we're opening season three of the Authors of the Rug Table by inviting these two veterans to escort us into the world of dragons. Charlie and Dan, tell us a little about who you are and why you crafted for us this exceptional experience. Um, my name is Charlie Rose, and I work with Dan Peeler. We've worked together for 30-some-odd um, years uh, in the animation and film business, and we have a, uh, a entertainment company. Um, all our material, all the things we provide content for are, are based on children and families. What's and the name of your entertainment company? Peeler Rose Productions. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we started out, we did, uh, we, Dan started out, I met him uh, when I was about 14 and Dan had just finished working on several segments for Sesame Street, which oh. I had been watching up to a few years before that. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, that was kind of an interesting little thing. 
That's right. And Charlie and I got together to, uh, he was very interested in animation, of course. He came to the animation company where I was working at the time. Later we formed our own. And he wanted to know about animation. So he came when he was, like, he was a kid. And we were, uh, we gave him cells. And and a lot of people would come and uh, check out the company in those days. But Charlie, I could tell, really was serious about it. He, He really wanted to be an animator. And he would come all the time. So... So when he, I said, when you grew up, we'll, <laughs> we'll start doing them. Well, basically, sure. when I was old enough to drive. And you're old enough to drive, and so, but my yeah, first job was really... His mother was bringing him. Really yeah, good. we came out a couple of times to, to visit the animation studio and, and be animation geeks and film geeks, too. We were experimenting with 8mm film at the time, and uh, Dan was talking about giving us cells. Their animation cells were... Uh, uh, you know the the tool of the trade and how animation was shot on film, mm-hmm. and uh, they're clear plastic things that were painted, unlike today where it's all digital and done on the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in those days, it was something collectible, and and it it was a prize to have a frame that was an actual frame from the film or whatever. So we have a lot of Sesame Street animation <laughs> cells and and things and drawings and, and all that. So as far as our company goes, that really took off when Charlie joined it because it was just me at the beginning producing animation, but uh, Charlie's skills made it really grow. And we've, we've done things for, well, we, we redesigned Chuck E. Cheese in the early nineties, was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, all those characters and worked with them for many years. We've, we've had a uh, animation special on the Disney channel that was on for 21 years. It was their Easter special, every every Easter for 21 years. And we did that with a, a, a guy named Bobby Goldsboro, who was a singer and uh, songwriter, pop singer of the 60s and 70s, and he had worked with Roy Orbis, Orbison and uh, uh, loved to tell children's stories in the car when they travel with his own kids. And so we wound up uh, taking some of those stories with him and animating them. And uh, that was a... That, that was a a big feather in our cap back in the day to have an animated show that was shown on the Disney Channel every year, and uh, uh, so that was a uh, that was a lot of fun. You'd be able to yeah. talk about that more than anything. Cause yeah, then, the then, Disney then, Channel yeah. doesn't pay royalties to us. No, of course <laughs> not. Yeah, it's just yeah. <laughs> prestige. <laughs> but uh, and Bobby was a wonderful guy to work with. We still keep up with him, and uh, he he won platinum records in the seventies. It was. An incredible guy, yeah. but he then he decided, hey, animation is too expensive, and he knew we were we were puppeteers. We do marionettes, costume characters, and things like that. So, so he decided he wanted to produce a show with costume characters called Swamp Critters of Lost Lagoon, mm-hmm. and so we produced three seasons of that, right? Four. four. Four seasons? Uh-huh. Something well, <laughs> a lot of seasons. <laughs> 50, 52 they all, episodes. They all ran together, yeah. But it was a whole lot of fun to work on. And so that's uh, that's the the next series series we had. It was on PBS and Learning Channel and all. It's, it's still, still mm-hmm. rerun it. So we've worked together in the, the film companies, uh, our, our, our own film company, for, for all those years. But all the time we were doing illustrations and... Uh, and writing, and yeah. that's when the the book ideas came about uh, a few years ago. When we decided this is what we this should be our magnum opus, these books, because uh, we've been doing a lot of things for a lot of years, and these books are, are something we're really proud to be working on. Well, what we, dragons? Mm-hmm. Well, we were working with a local film company uh, on a project. It was a, a sort of a, a documentary 
and uh, on on uh, creationism, and so they wanted um, they wanted drawings of dinosaurs, mm-hmm. and and uh, to to put in with the with the the show, and they were just going to be still drawings, pen and ink style. And uh, Dan was fooling around one day, and he said, basically, look, I made a dragon, and he took one of the dinosaur drawings and and drew a dragon, and I said, that's really cool. And and Dan was always fiddling around with the art anyway, and just having fun with it because he liked dragons and gargoyles and all that. Mm-hmm. So um, you know that was part of the beginning. Uh, meanwhile, simultaneously, we were uh, talking to a fellow on Facebook who is actually from Romania, and uh, and he showed an interest in that, and uh, he he liked Dan and me uh, because we had our picture made in the the original Batmobile from the. Sixty-six TV show, and both of us playing around in the Batmobile, the original Batmobile, mm-hmm. and so he he, lo- he he liked both of these things. So these guys are fun, and he liked Batman, and uh, that was sort of the introduction. And and uh, then we began having conversations with him on Facebook Messenger, I guess. And, yeah, we've had extensive conversations with him. His name is Lucian, and we actually put a, a character in the book named Lucian that is based on him mm-hmm. because he told us all these wonderful stories about Romania and the. Uh, and folk tales that are haven't been published in the U.S. All these these interesting things. So so some of the parts of these books are based on these these old Romanian folk tales. That's why the book is called Dragons of Romania. That's why it's it's set in Romania. That's the he uh, was actually the inspiration for the location. Now, typically, um, dragons in the in the east are benevolent creatures, while in the west they're. They tend to be uh, evil creatures. So right. exactly, yeah, yeah. how did yeah. you maneuver this? Well, all of ours are benevolent. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, in fact, it doesn't matter east or west. We made them all friendly they are and very uh, civilized dragons. So uh, right. uh, they, uh, everyone asked us, so well, how do your dragons live? What do they eat? And they said, "Well, that we've got we've got a couple of ways. One is they absorb proteins from the atmosphere, and the other way is they only eat." Uh, other animals who are about to die, and but they're benevolent enough. They use this dragon hypnotism to hypnotize their it's called, prey. It's called mind stunning. Mind, <laughs> it's a mind stun. Yeah. So they mind stun their prey, and the prey is unaware of anything else beyond that. It's a very yeah. peaceful, uh, a very a very peaceful demise. So the, so the dragons then have their nourishment through with that. But they uh, we make sure that uh, everyone you know they, the dragons are very. Earth friendly. They want it. They don't do anything wastefully and and, uh, and all that. One of the rain, main reasons that they can breathe fire is so they can barbecue their prey <laughs> because they don't want to eat anything raw. So they they go down medium rare. So no, no. I know that uh, your your book is mainly for teenagers, isn't it? It's for um, anywhere from like fifth, sixth grade up, uh, and, and uh, but yeah, teenagers are going to be the uh, middle the grade is audience. the target audience. That's but right, we yeah. found about uh, right now about seventy percent of our our uh, readers are adult. Yeah. Uh, over forty, so yeah, so yeah. they're not. They're, no one cares about the readership. They say, "Hey, the story's good." I have friends that pick up the book and say, "This." You know, reading a page and say, "Hey, this this book is kind of deep. You're talking about a lot of intricate little things here." And he's like, "Yeah." So, you know, we want to talk up to our audience, not down to. We will be right back when we return. Dan and Charlie will take us deep into the pages of Dragons of Romania. 
Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. The, uh, the basic story of this book, the basic content is the, uh, the, uh, the premise is the dragons are uh, traveling around the world to meet other dragons. The, the young dragon whose name is Tanarul, and most of them have Romanian names, his name is Tanarul, which means young one, young student. And uh, he's uh, gone to the, the older elder dragon. The elder dragon is so old that he was born in the Cretaceous era. They lived for millions of years. Mm -hmm. And so he's gone to him to, to learn about his own history. And so they start having their travels around the world. But uh, during the course of their travels, they, uh, they start realizing how much humankind has, uh, has messed up the earth. Mm. The ecology is, is, has been really, uh, really harmed, and they become very, very concerned about what's going on. Mm -hmm. You want to go on more about the plot? Mm. Well, the, uh, and, and learning about the other dragons, uh, Dan's main function at the beginning was to research um, each different kind of dragon from whatever country we'd want to travel to. And we thought we were going to travel all over the world with this. And, and I said, you know, this is, this is our, uh, it's our legacy. It's Dan's legacy, Dan d doing all the research. And uh, I spend my time talking to Dan about the stories and developing. So we talk about character development, new characters, and uh, and where they're going to go next. And everywhere I go, um, I, there's a dragon reference. I mean, I went to a little water park in South Texas called Schlitterbahn, and they have a dragon area. And I'm, I'm thinking, there are dragons everywhere. So it's a great thing because they're so, um, so much a part of our culture, and everyone that we talk to says they like dragons. So finding people that like dragons is not an issue. Uh, finding an original story about dragons who uh, not only breathe fire but might breathe, they might breathe water, and talking about um, they don't actually eat people they uh, because people are too full of sugar. So uh, they make a reference to how unhealthy a lot of humans are and all this. But um, uh, in developing that and going all over the world, we find ourselves in so many different cultures that it will read across the world. And uh, as we begin translating first into Spanish. And then later on, Portuguese and German, uh, we can we can find uh, a part of everyone's history has a dragon in it. That's so. right. We found that every culture has a dragon. It's very interesting that from the islands of the South Pacific to every country in Europe, everyone has a dragon. Mm -hmm. And so we've uh, we've decided to research all the actual dragon legends of history. We've interwoven these into all of this. Mm -hmm. So it's not just all of our dragons. They're they're actually visiting. Uh, Fafner from the uh, the Norse legends and uh, uh, Tiamat, this is the dragon of, of Babylon, and all these different interesting dragons. They meet the Hydra and uh, and the Kraken mm -hmm. in one of the books, uh, not in this one, but in the third one, I think. But they uh, they really have a, a great time with the these these real real fabled dragons, and so the children or whoever reads this or are learning all of that too. They're learning some actual histor historical facts. Along with this, they learn uh, 
regional accents and a few foreign words and things like that. They uh, they learn how to speak uh, Cockney because the Jabberwock speaks <laughs> the English Cockney accent. They learn about uh, J- Jamaican slang and uh, and a few Chinese words and the. Uh, uh, the dialect of Australians, one of these dragons is called a bunyip, which is an Australian dragon, mm. and he, of course, has that accent. So they, they learn a lot of those sort of things. But in the course of the uh, the ecology section of this, they they learn that uh, that Leviathan, the great dragon from uh, the uh, biblical stories, actually, mm-hmm. this, this enormous creature, has uh, kept growing his whole life. He's like an alligator who never stops growing. The older he gets, the bigger he gets. Well, he's grown the length of Ireland now. Mm -hmm. But he's hibernating under the North Pole. So uh, the the big problem in this book is that global warming is is uh, melting the the Arctic region. Mm -hmm. And so they're afraid Leviathan is going to come out of hibernation and Go for a stroll and step on New York, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so they're uh, they're very concerned. And in the first book, that's the uh, that's the big push to try to find out what are we going to do about Leviathan. And the the second book is actually a sequel in which they they get together yeah. and find a solution. But uh, it's it's all about it's all about the ecology, what what humans have done to the world. Well, two, two questions come to mind. Let, mm-hmm. let me take you back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what? Was the birth of dragons that you find in in our history? What what brought this all about? Why dragons came into play? Well, I think if we're talking uh, about biblical dragons, that the the world to those people in that day, their science was that the earth was flat. And so there were sea creatures that if you got too far out, you could be swallowed up or eaten or whatever by a dragon or sea creature or whatever Leviathan would be. Uh, If you went too far, you'd go off the edge of the earth, uh, the edge of the waters. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the origins for that. And there are so many uh, cross-culturally that's, I mean... That's right. We uh, we emphasize a lot of since... Our culture is from the West. We have a lot of the Western dragons in it, and we we uh, talk about the. Actually, we refer. It's not a biblical book, but we talk. We refer to uh, to a lot of different religions and cultures in it, and talk about in in Genesis the uh, the great monsters of the deep were created along with all the other creatures of the world, and they were. They were deemed as good, mm-hmm. so our dragons are still good. <laughs> so, so yeah, so they 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 really uh, saw dragons in that way, as opposed to a lot of other cultures. Well, dragons too are sort of a metaphor because mm-hmm. of anything unknown and under the water mm-hmm. that you see a piece of, you see a fin come out of the water, and you immediately draw a picture in your mind about what that fin might represent or what it is, and so your imagination can run wild. You think this is going to take your ship down or mm-hmm. or swallow you whole or whatever. So without seeing the rest of it, you you're left to imagine what it was. So does your series is it more traveling from country to country or is it taking that route, or is it taking a different route? How do you progress? Traveling bit? from country to country is only part of the story. The yeah. the bigger part of it is what each book has its for its threat. What's yeah. the what's the threat to humankind? What's the threat to the planet Earth that's mm-hmm. going to happen if something if one thing happens and it's catastrophic? What's the domino effect of all these things? So, so, so in the first book, what what are you attacking there? Well, the first book uh, we when we first started talking to the publisher. 
he said, uh, well, who is the villain? And we said, we are. <laughs> because we're the ones that are destroying the ecology. And that's why uh, the dragons are trying to figure out what to do. And then they realize, at the very beginning of the book, uh, the elder dragon talks to the younger one saying, you know, humankind is going to have their run, and then they're going to be gone like the dinosaurs because they're destroying each other as, mm -hmm. as things go. So this is in the, the age of humans, so it's better for dragons just to remain myths. So mm -hmm. so he starts teaching this young dragon, we're all myths, it's better for us to to not associate with humankind. And they uh, they also have uh, a chameleon cloaking abil ability. They can actually have the power of the chameleon except... They can actually assume the the texture of a brick wall. They they can completely hide in this room while we're talking, mm -hmm. and uh, we would not have no idea that they were there. So that's how they sort of uh, stay out of uh, humans' uh, ways, but they are there after all. So they they decide that they're going to to do something to to uh, remedy this situation. And they realize, well, it's going to take humans, too. We can't do it on our own. Mm -hmm. We can't just do this because we're big, powerful dragons, because we've got to have access to the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, uh, the uh, dragon from Australia, the Bunyip, as actually is, is Internet literate, and he has his own... Uh, his own computer system in his cave. <laughs> so so they decide to, to start contacting humans that he's already talked to because people don't ever use their own identity on the Internet. How many dragons do you think you might be talking to? <laughs> so so the, uh, the Bunyip helps them uh, contact Lucian and all these other people that are uh, uh, dragon-friendly. And they uh, toward the end of this uh, first book, they they form the Dragon Human Alliance and uh, and they decide what are we going to do together to save the planet. We will be right back. You are on the journey. My name is Neville D'Angelo. My guests are Charlie Rose and Dan Peeler, author of dragons of Romania. And my question to you would be, so how many dragons might you have in your social network and not even know about it? One of the things I like about this book, this creative work of Dan and Charles, is uh, the many avenues it opens up for social interactions, uh, for teens to openly share with and listen to each other, and to expand their discourse in an environment that wouldn't threaten them having unique thoughts. I like that. It's a chance for folks to think uniquely, and the freedom to share their thoughts. I like that. When we get back to the table, let's find out why Romania? So how do we come to uh, Dragons of Romania, uh, Dan and I worked together 
in the entertainment industry doing animation and puppetry and it's all basically storytelling mm -hmm. and the other aspect of that to me the reason I met Dan to begin with was uh, you know I knew what I wanted to do when I grew up basically mm -hmm. you know though I was 14 from a very young age I knew that I wanted to draw pictures I wanted to do something with cartoons and uh, uh, and cartoon design and that would led to animation but uh, we have a basic rule of, of uh, follow your bliss so which is a is a great Joseph Campbell kind of a, a phrase about do you know and he changes that to follow your blisters do the thing that you love to do and get blistered doing it and everything we've got plenty of blisters in our past to, to uh, uh, get where we're going but all of this is part of, of storytelling it's part of the entertainment uh, industry It's part of our background and it um, it's all about uh, uh, learning while we're being entertained, we we learn as we go as well, and um, and this evolves. So our whole company, our whole the the thing that Dan and I enjoy is one, our audience is children because you know think young at heart, mm -hmm. and um, and then everything we do is like you know we have a we have a responsibility to teach while we're doing anything. It doesn't it's not for for uh, uh, pure entertainment there's always something there's always an interaction with people and how we how we interact with the world and there's always something wrong in the world there's always something that needs a solution and um so we have to learn and to think and we have to teach how to think and uh this is that's one of right the the dragons themselves are uh, are symbols of a lot of things depending on uh, what your particular view on life might be. The, They're the, metaphors. That's They're right, like exactly. This. The dragons are, are marginalized because they're uh, they're monsters in, in the idea in the minds of most people, and uh, we we use them as symbols of, of a, a lot of problems that are happening in the world. They they are, are uh, they look like monsters. They they look like something that is different than human beings, and humans have the the tendency to want to kill anything that doesn't look like them <laughs> or, or that they fear. Or, and it, it goes on to the fact that they, there's a lot of philosophy in these books. The, the dragons are always sort of commiserating about what humans do to each other mm -hmm. and saying that uh, dragons were, were villains in the past and uh, because the dragons looked different. And, they, and if, if someone had a problem with... Their, their crops failing, then they say, well, uh, a dragon burned them down. <laughs> and because it's always easier to blame something else than, than yourself. And so the, uh, the, the plot device goes on to the, the, the point that dragons were, that humans ran out of dragons, so they started creating monsters of each other. Mm -hmm. And that's why a, a book like Revelation, for example, in the Bible has the, the uh, Roman Empire represented as this seven-headed ten-horned beasts mm -hmm. because they hated the Romans and so it was uh, if they were to turn the Romans into a monster then hey it's okay to kill them <laughs> and the, which is what we still do today yeah, yeah. Uh, people that are not like us people that we consider our enemies are, are automatically monsters mm -hmm. now do you see do you see dra dragons and monsters as slightly different in our culture even though dragons might be monstrous 
And uh, are they essentially in storytelling very different? Dragons here and monsters there. I would say monsters are dragons we don't understand. You want to, um, if you want to understand yeah, something, exactly. then and, and, uh, nothing has to be your enemy. It may want to eat you, right. but that doesn't mean it's your enemy. <laughs> it's just for well, the natural course of things. At least, at least in this case, our dragon would hypnotize you, so you're okay with it. You know, you're not going to have to worry about being in pain or. Or, uh, or uh, giving like the drink. <laughs> like now, while we were offline, you you mentioned to me that dragons come in very different sizes, from as small as a pencil to mm-hmm. as huge as you say Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, uh, what talk about that? For well, the dragons of history were always very large, very monstrous, and they had to be something that was big enough to devour a village or something out in the ocean that would be bigger than their ships and everything else. But uh, Dan had this brilliant idea saying, you know, we have, we have uh, fa- uh, you know, two factions of dragons. We have greater dragons and lesser dragons. And the lesser dragons, unless you see the illustrations, the lesser dragons are the size of mice and pencils and and uh, and sheep and dogs and and that kind of a thing, to show that there's a huge variety of dragons and uh, and we're not we're not just thinking about toys. We're thinking about you know how how do how their survival uh, what happens how do the dragons survive and well and we can uh, we can identify more with the lesser dragons because the lesser dragons are not fire breathers mm-hmm. and they only live for a few thousand years <laughs> instead of millions of years and so. Uh, so they're they're closer to us than the these these dragons that are like superheroes, you know, these invincible creatures. Intercessory dragons. That's so, right. Yeah. So in your story, what kills a dragon? What, how mm-hmm. does a dragon die? Well, a dragon can be killed by a sword, by by or, or a gun or anything else. They're not immortal, mm-hmm. but they uh, they're. Their scales are are almost impervious to uh, to what humans can put out, and they of course are impervious to fire. Their fire is hotter than a vol- volcano's fire, for example. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, but they're not they're not immortal beings that can't be killed because there would be no drama there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing too that we sort of I sort of think about in the evolution of a dragon, dragon living millions of years. You're going to get kind of calloused. You're going to get tougher, and uh, and just because of that state of evolution or state of growth, the dragon can naturally just grow bigger and bigger and bigger. So um, it it stands to reason that a dragon that's millions of years old could be the size of a continent mm-hmm. or the length of a continent. Well, depending on the species, some of them get to a uh, a size that where they, they they remain that way their whole lives others are, are like alligators and keep growing but I, I would think that if uh, if a dragon is the size of a continent then you wouldn't have many of them on earth or is our dragons is this their only realm or are they beyond the realm of so far, they just live on Earth, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it's very rare for them to become the size of a continent. And they, we're avoiding uh, we're avoiding yeah. the old adage of old TV shows that jump the shark, where they yeah. they had the the final yeah. thing is the dragons of outer space or dragons of another planet. And we think, okay, well, you know, right now we can relate to Earth. Yeah. We don't have to put them too far out there because I think if we run out of ideas, we're stopping. We're not going to yeah. just you know milk it dry for everything, but. We have a lot of ideas. We're up to about seven books and ideas. We've completed four books, 
and then uh, and then we just come up with book titles for upcoming. Uh, we're up to seventeen or eighteen different book titles for dragons, <laughs> but not that the stories are fleshed out, but they're all ideas of what happens if there's this threat happens, that threat, and uh, can take us through a process if I'm. A young writer um, trying to tell new stories. Uh, what t- take us through that process? How how do you? Well, the basic up? storytelling is that um, uh, th- there's a hero and a villain, and there's a there's someone who has something, mm-hmm. and in the process they lose that thing, and through a very special process get that thing back. Mm-hmm. So there's the having, have not, and getting it back, and, and there has to be a, a process to the beginning, middle, and end of that story. But that's the basic story for everything. That's right. And the uh, the, the basic rule of writing anything is to write what you know about. Mm-hmm. And we're putting a lot of information in this about what we've studied through the years and uh, applying it to the the wiser dragons who mm-hmm. who tell the younger ones these uh, these philosophies and so on. So the uh, the marginalization part of the dragon's uh, story is is very important because all of us are marginalized somehow, most of us anyway. Mm-hmm. So draw from our, your own experience about what what problems have you experienced in life, and how could that be applied to these these creatures that are that are. Are benevolent and because and of course we're all benevolent, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, or as far as each each person is concerned, well, I'm I'm a hero. So, give that dragon your personality. There, the the main two dragons, uh, the the elder dragon is me, <laughs> and the the younger one is Charlie, because he's he questions. He's you know our whole business career has been his job to say, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's a good idea. So that's how we uh, we write these books. I write the uh, the rough draft, the first rough draft. And then, and then I tear it apart. Yeah, then Charlie, <laughs> exactly. Then we. But it's and, really about development. You yeah. think it's like ah, you know, we'll read through it and 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 see that uh, certain things I struggle with, and I think, well, I read on the the level of an eighth grader, so <laughs> that might might be a help or a hindrance. I'm not sure, but but uh, in storytelling, I think if this is confusing, then it might be confusing to a reader. But in reading it out loud, we come up with characterizations and voices of these characters we started talking about casting who would we who would we get to cast as voice talent for these (laughs) dragons and things so we're we're at that place of thinking this is going to be a cg movie and and uh (laughs) i don't know who's going to produce it but it's uh it's just got uh lots and lots of material for years we have the advantage of being co-writers on this and and co-illustrated we're illustrating it too of course we Main reason we're doing it is because we did some illustrations and said, "Hey, let's write a story about them." And the uh, the idea of working with another person is is really very very enlightening as far as the the writing of these stories goes. Because if you really know that other person and really trust them, and you can you can have a conversation without getting into an argument, right. then you can really improve your work. I know a lot of writers write solo, and that's great. They write exactly what they want to write but as far as our team goes we've been a team in animation and puppetry and children's entertainment for so many years that it's easy for us to do this we we know what the other one likes and doesn't like and and we work together well no there are two ideas that seem to challenge each other and somehow in your explanation of storytelling I think you might have answered it, but I want to pose these two problems that young writers 
probably face they're told mm-hmm. uh, very often like you said write what you know mm-hmm. right but you're they're also told don't write what you know write what you want to learn mm-hmm. so so which is this and how do you how well do you, it's, right. a, it's a little bit of both the right. uh the what you know part is the boring part <laughs> because I already know it and I'm just writing it down and and the but the uh, the younger dragon is the learner you know he is the student literally he's a student and so he's the one that wants to explore further he wants to go way beyond what the the older dragon has to say no to but him. I mean as a young writer mm-hmm. when he's approaching the work or sports the storyteller which which way should it be going well How they, do you advise what uh, Dan said is true it's a it's a both and not either or situation you write down what you know true and and everything else but in the world of fantasy I mean you come up with different planet systems different solar systems different uh, different areas of the earth perhaps undiscovered um, and discovering that there are things that exist on this planet that nobody knows about that's you know those uncharted islands those uncharted species and we're still finding new species today and and even so the internet is full of these these uh, what seem to be fake pictures of of uh, of uh, dinosaurs and or dragons that are found in modern modern times you can't tell if it's anymore you can't tell if it's something that's a computer generated image or if it's is it a puppet did someone make that out of foam rubber you know they just making a picture is it nessie the loch ness monster Uh, you know whatever well when we are back i'd like you to address you mentioned the internet Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, of course, there's information flow, both false and good, all throughout the Internet. How do you face storytelling in a time like this? You guys were storytelling in the time of Sesame Street, you mentioned. <laughs> um, is it the same uh, today or is it different? We'll discuss that when we're back. You are on the journey. I am Neville D'Angelo with Charlie Rose and Dan Peter. And we are discussing their just-released teen novel, book one of a series, Dragons of Romania. While I await Charlie and Dan's response to my question, let me ask those of you who are creators, storytellers, artists, illustrators, teachers... How do you design story in this internet era? How do you do it? So you're asking about storytelling today, what's what's changed? And uh, what we all think we know is that attention spans are shorter. And so what do you do with a shorter attention span? And uh, one of the ideas to me is to create more variety. If you need more things to latch onto, to grasp, to to think about or whatever, without being too confusing, you have to have variety. And uh, that's one of the things. And Yes, and the, uh, we, we want this to be for children of this century, so... It would be very difficult to write stories without cell phones and the internet in them. Mm-hmm. So the internet is is a very important part, not only 
uh, to the the lives of our readers, but to the dragons in the book because they can't reach everyone all over the world with their problem unless they go to this uh, this Bunyip character in Australia who has access to the internet and and they uh, they they then learn the cell phone world of of the human beings mm-hmm. in the future. Who knows what we're going to be talking through? But <laughs> this is what we're doing right now. So we wanted it to be relevant to this century. But as far as ter- storytelling itself goes, it, storytelling doesn't change. It hasn't changed since since the earliest stories of uh, the the old biblical stories or. Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh, that's right. The the original's mm-hmm. recorded story was written on slates, and well before there was ever a uh, a Abraham or Sarah, you know, all these these stories of were the same. They were they always had the same kind of a plot. What Charlie talked about earlier is basically the, the same plot. You've got something, you lose something, and through some kind of wonderful situation, you get it back. So why does it appeal to us so much? I think uh, uh, we're always looking for our purpose. I, I, I should speak for myself. I'm always looking for my purpose. Why am I here? What is, uh, what's the use of being here? And, um, and old stories, um, the most ancient stories, even you know, whether we're talking biblical times or, or before that and 20,000 years ago, um, we're always looking for where did we come from, and uh, where are we going, and and uh, do and I, and we all, in in a way, I think want to know that we serve some sort of purpose. It's we flounder when we don't know what our purpose is, mm-hmm. so we like to know. Um, and part of this is dragons talking to older dragons and being introduced to, hey, I've been here for a long time, so here's what's happened in my history of the world. And um, uh, That's right. A lot of it is, uh, is stories that we're familiar with, but told from the dragon's point of view. Mm-hmm. Like the, the story of St. George is probably the most famous of the, the Slayer of the Dragon stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the story, of course, in the human side, the king has to uh, sacrifice a, a maiden or a child from the village every, every so often to satisfy the needs of the dragon. Mm-hmm. So the dragons uh, run into the great-granddaughter of the dragon of St. George. Her name is Cosmina. Mm-hmm. And there, there are a lot of female dragons in this, by the way. It's a gender-balanced book. <laughs> the, dragon, the dragons are not all... Can't all have all just boy dragons yeah. anyway, otherwise <laughs> no, where are we get new yeah. dragons? But Cosmina tells them, well, you know what really happened is that uh, the the king wasn't sacrificing these children to, to dragons. He was a slave trader. <laughs> he was uh, dealing in human trafficking. And so the, there was a dragon over here in the uh, in the cave, and so he blamed the dragons. So I have to, to take these children over to the dragon. And so he was actually selling them. Mm-hmm. And that was, so that was the their side of the story as to what really happened to those children. Mm-hmm. Now, in humans in different continents, of course, speak different languages. Different countries mm-hmm. speak different languages. What about the dragons? How do they communicate? The, how to? Well, since the, the yeah, since, I, mm-hmm. since the dragons, these dragons are from Romania. They speak uh, not only Romanian but dragon speak. They they have a language that all dragons understand. It's called dragon speak, but. Uh, the dragons consider Romanian to be the most beautiful of human languages. So, mm-hmm. so, so all dragons speak Romanian too. So that's that's mm-hmm. how they they communicate. But you know, we're told very early in the book that they have uh, 
what we would call photographic memories and they can have a conversation with someone who's speaking another language and a couple of days be fluent in that language, even in accents. They, mm-hmm. they, even, they even come to Dallas at one time. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, the elder dragon starts uh, speaking in a Texas drawl. So. <laughs> but it's fun because <clears throat> the, the dragon's age, the oldest ones especially, know a lot about human history and they know a lot about our literature and and of course now our dragons are reading off the internet and learning languages and all that but they also understand storytelling and they know and can tell us that there are how many worldwide flood stories like Noah but Gilgamesh and then others and then how many human creation stories all are there and then uh and then about the development and evolution of the planet itself, because they're millions of years old. They can talk about when times are even rougher and before there were people, what happens after people. So uh, it's, uh, it, that's part of storytelling, too. We always want to know what our beginnings are. Mm-hmm. And the dragons are the wisest to me because they know what the beginnings are. They've seen the earth before people were here. So yeah, They know if velociraptors had uh, feathers or not <laughs> because they would live next door. You know, so this, <laughs> this sort of thing is, uh, clears up a lot of our history. So are, they, are, you, are, you, are your dragons present-day placed? I know they are from, from times yeah, past yeah. and future, but are they present-day placed in the story? Oh, yeah. I'm going to follow yes. up with a question. Yes. So um, are, are they visible or invisible to humans? Are they hiding from humans? Mm-hmm. Then, uh, how does this work in your story? That's the real trick, isn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, the, uh, <laughs> should, should we wait to read the book? To <laughs> no, we, we, we learn right away that they have, uh, that they have chameleon abilities. Okay. That they can, they actually uh, can be in the same room with you, and you would never know it. So, so the, the dragons are around all the time. Yeah. Shall I ask a very pertinent question uh, to my audience? Uh, Am I speaking to dragons right now? <laughs> <laughs> we're not posing as dragons. No, we're, no. we're we're not sophisticated enough to be dragons no, for no. sure. No, but how do we know we're not? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what makes us different. Maybe we, maybe we're writing about our own history. We just don't know it. Yeah. Well, they're not shapeshifters. They can't turn into oh, humans because who would want to? <laughs> <laughs> but they they can hide if they want to. And another aspect is that that people are so busy looking down at their phones, there could be a dragon looking over their shoulder. They would never know. <laughs> so, we joke a lot about human yeah. behavior and everything. It's kind yeah, of fun. they don't understand humans. We well, certainly have enough of ourselves to make fun of with it. So, and dragons are sophisticated. So, yeah. Of course, you also can find out the secrets of the dragons. Dragons of Romania by Dan Peeler and Charlie Rose is available at Amazon and at your favorite bookstore. Dan and Charlie, thank you for being on the journey with us and for opening up this season's Author's Roundtable. Thank you. The Journey is available free on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Rio Sports Radio, and several of your favorite internet platforms. Download, embed, and share via any of the social media you love. Dragons of Romania. See you next week.